This week on Geek Explained, we're taking a closer look at one of my favorite Marvel comics of all time. Tracksuit gangsters, Madame Mask, and a killer clown are all in a day's work for the brand new owner of an apartment building, his sassy protege, and a plucky pizza dog. Join us for our latest Geek Explained spotlight on Matt Fraction and David Aja's Hawkeye. <laughs> Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is our latest Geek Explained spotlight on Hawkeye. The iconic Hawkeye run by Matt Fraction and David Aja is the latest of our, I guess, Marvel September. Um, DC was very uh, prevalent in August, so I thought it would be only fair if we gave uh, Marvel the entire month of September for the most part. And uh, to be honest, this is one of my favorite comics that I've ever read. Um, I came to this comic a little bit later. I wasn't um, really following this when it was actually like coming out week to week, but I find I got the uh, omnibus collecting all of it a couple years ago. And I've been waiting to talk about this on the podcast. I mentioned it before. And one of the, episodes kind of covering the best comics of the past decade, but I have been just itching to do a full spotlight on this book, and so that is what this episode is going to be all about. Going through the entire run, talking about the highs, the lows, the incredible artwork, and the amazing storytelling, and the just iconic character beats that come with the story. Ah, I can't wait to talk about it. We also have our latest weekly review on the newest episode of Season 2 of The Boys, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, so we got some news for you this week. We've actually got, like, a lot of news. I didn't think that it was going to be this packed when it comes to news this week. But, uh, of course, we have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. And we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. We're going to start off with miscellaneous news. And it's pretty much all gaming news here, as per usual, when it comes to miscellaneous news. Uh, First off, Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia is a uh, game series that I have loved dearly for a very long time. I uh, owned and played all three of the original trilogy. I even went and got the fourth game that was supposed to be like between uh, the first and second game, though there were certain things that like contradicted it. It, Anyway, um, the original game, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, is probably one of the biggest uh feathers in the cap for that uh for that company for that series and really for the genre of those like action adventure games and i am so excited to uh bring the news to you that it's getting a remake 
The first game in the Prince of Persia franchise is getting an official complete remake by the original studio. My boy Yuri Lowenthal is back voicing the prince. I'm assuming they brought back the entire cast, but I don't know if they just uh, took the original audio or however they did it, but they released a trailer. They announced that the game will be released on January 21st of 2021. So it's just a little bit away, just a little bit away, right around five months. Um, I am really excited. I'm kind of hoping that they tighten up the graphics a little bit um, because even though this is a complete remake by a pretty good studio when it comes to this stuff, um, it still kind of feels last gen. Uh, I hate to say that, but it feels a little bit like I was watching a uh, game trailer for like a PS3 or an Xbox 360 game. So I kind of hope... In I'm hoping that they tighten it up and they really make it worth because at this point when it comes out, it's going to be coming out on like Xbox Series X, uh, PlayStation 5, probably uh, current gen as well with uh, Xbox One and uh, PS4. But I just I want this if they're going to do a full remake of this, make it feel like a modern gen remake, kind of like in the vein of the new Crash Bandicoot games, Final Fantasy VII Remake, the Resident Evil Remakes, and all that good stuff. Um, speaking of which, talking about the next gen, uh, we finally have an announcement for the release date and pricing for the new generation of Xbox consoles. So it was revealed that alongside the Xbox Series X, which is the big new basically like uh, mini fridge sized <laughs> console coming from Xbox. Uh, we're also getting an Xbox Series S, which is going to be a smaller, they're saying it's like uh, like just around half the size of the Xbox Series X. Um, it's going to be all digital. Uh, they've talked about, we've covered recently that PlayStation is planning on doing um, something similar where they have like an all-in-one version of the PS5, and then like a digital-only PS5, um, smaller, and it allows people who are just like digital gamers who don't really bother getting uh, physical copies of games to, you know, have a console just to themselves. And I think that's smart. You know, we've seen a lot of um, growing enthusiasm for digital gaming. I myself have been getting into uh, getting digital copies this year just because with uh, COVID going on and it being increasingly difficult to get to stores, it's it's just, it makes sense. So I'm glad that they're giving people the option to do that. Uh, we did get price reveals. The Xbox Series X is going to be uh, $600 and the Xbox Series S is going to be $300. If I had to choose between the two, I'd probably go with the S just because I know I'm definitely getting a PlayStation 5 um, if I can get my hands on them. But uh, for the Xbox, because I do have a love for the Xbox, I started off with the Xbox 360 and ever since then I've been a diehard Xbox guy and was only recently able to come back into the fold when it comes to PlayStation the last couple of years. But um, either way, both of them will be re uh, releasing on November 10th. So they moved it up. I thought that for sure it was going to be like a Christmas time uh, around then, which I don't know. We still don't have anything to go off of for PlayStation. They did announce that this week, this Thursday, as of this recording, um, 
they're kind of going to be doing their response. So we'll see. But uh, we do know as well that Assassin's Creed Valhalla, the new Assassin's Creed game, uh, moved their date up. They moved their release date up to coincide with the November 10th release for the Xbox Series X, so it's going to become a launch title. Um, I think that's cool. I've pretty much been playing Assassin's Creed games on the Xbox since um, since the first one, really. So uh, I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we did talk about the past we did talk about the future uh talk about right now though when it comes to gaming scott pilgrim scott pilgrim the uh arcade game that caught fire when it was first released way back around the hype of the movie uh is coming back it's an arcade beat-em-up uh with four players you go off i remember playing this a bunch of times with with my friends brendan juan um just going through all of these maps because we love that uh franchise we love that movie we love that comic so much and they announced that it is finally coming back with all dlc included and it should be coming out i think it's before the end of this year so definitely keep an eye on that uh we're now going to move on into comics news comics news um some big stuff. Some big stuff got announced this week. Uh, first off, the anthology series, Batman Black and White, is returning with a whole bevy of artists and writers telling little one-shot stories. I've always been a fan of the Black and White series, just getting like short, one-off stories by some creators who, you know, might not be able to get onto a Batman book right now, such as a Chip Zdarsky, who was confirmed for this. So I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, speaking of Batman as well, uh, we finally have a release date for Batcat, the uh, book that Tom King and um, uh, Clayman, I think, is working on that. So it's uh, Tom King and Clayman have been working on uh, Batman Catwoman, and... They've been teasing this since the end of his run, which was like near the end of last year, early this year, I think. And uh, we finally know that the first issue of the 12-issue Maxi series is going to be releasing on December 1st. So that's just a couple months away. Really looking forward to this. Uh, they've also teased that the book will be taking place in three different time periods. You know, the, the early days of their relationship, right now, and then the end or the closing chapters of their relationship. So I'm interested. I, I really do enjoy Batman and Catwoman together. I think Tom King does a really great job with them together. So I'm looking forward to this book. And then finally, in comics news, we got a big bombshell announcement, and that is that Brian Michael Bendis is leaving Superman. I would love nothing more than to uh, put on a celebratory song, drink some champagne, um, but I uh, I'm cautiously optimistic i have made it pretty clear that i'm not a huge fan of uh bendis's writing when it comes to the superman books um i actually talked about it on the podcast that it's kind of his version and his vision for what the superman book should be kind of ran me out of the book as a reader 
Um, but we do know now that uh, Bendis will be ending his run on both Superman and Action Comics in December with Action Comics uh, number 1028 and Superman number 28. I don't know how they got that. but <laughs> um, So basically, yeah, he's going to be wrapping up there. Uh, we don't know where he's going next. We know he's not done with DC. I'm pretty sure he still has the exclusivity deal with them for a few more years. Um, and we have no announcement for who's going to be picking up the reins of Superman following that. I've still got my fingers crossed for Tom Taylor, but you can never tell with these kind of things. So as soon as I know, you'll know. Uh, but that does it for comics news. So we're going to roll right on into TV news. And this is like a weird, like we've got two really good pieces of news and then one like not so good piece of news. I'm going to start off with the bad news. And that's that uh, RoboCop is getting a TV prequel. Uh, they announced that there is going to be a show basically uh, chronicling the time pre-RoboCop. So you took the most exciting bit of RoboCop and you took it out. Um, I think a lot of people, and rightfully so, have made comparisons to like uh, Gotham in this uh in this instance where I think that, you know, if you have like strong characters in that world that can carry stories uh, outside of your main hero and you want to tell stories that involve them before that hero shows up, totally go for it. But I don't think that RoboCop has this, you know, deep character roster that really can hold on to their stories before RoboCop shows up. So I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about it, but it just doesn't sound like good stuff to me. However, what is good stuff is that we now know that Young Justice Season 4 is coming, and it has a title, and that is Young Justice Phantoms. I don't know what that means. There are a lot of things that it could be referencing to, whether that's the Phantom Zone, whether that's, I mean, God forbid, Phantom Girl, and we, you know, lead into the Legion of uh, Superheroes. There's a lot. There are a lot of directions they could go, especially with how Season 3 ended. So I'm really interested to see what they do with this. And then finally, more good news, Doom Patrol has been officially renewed for Season 3. I am so so excited. Um, however, one piece of news with that as well is that uh, they, with this announcement, they've stated that uh, Doom Patrol is going to be renewed exclusively on HBO Max. So it's not going to be on DC Universe. Uh, Jim Lee has teased in the most recent uh uh, DC Fandom Part 2, which also happened this past weekend. There wasn't really anything newsworthy that came out of it, so there's not a whole lot that I can really talk about it here. But uh, Jim Lee did mention that the state of the DC Universe will be addressed in the next week or two. So I don't know. I don't know if it's just going to you know go away, if they're going to keep it just for the comics library. I don't know what the plan is for that, but... I'll keep my eyes and ears peeled for it. We'll just have to see. And then finally moving on into film news. Uh, Wonder Woman 84. We're just going to rip the band-aid off right now. Wonder Woman 84 has been delayed yet again. Uh, this really hurt me. I was hoping that it would keep its uh, release date. However, um, they're still trying their best. They're trying their hardest to get this to... Uh, 
to release this year because Wonder Woman 84 has been delayed from November to Christmas Day. They are hoping and praying to get this out on Christmas Day. I still don't feel super comfortable going to a theater, and I probably won't for a while. But out here in Los Angeles, there's been a big push for drive-in theaters, so I... I'm I'm interested. I'm definitely interested in checking that out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know this was kind of inevitable that they were going to delay it. It's sad, but it is I think necessary. Uh, we also got the first trailer for Dune. Um, it looks interesting. I I I know nothing about Dune at all. I will I will admit that, but um, it looks interesting. I think that the concepts look interesting. The cast looks good. Uh, it's sci-fi, and I'm always a sucker for good sci-fi. So I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Uh, but the big piece of news this week that I really wanted to talk about, when it comes to film at least, is that we have a potential. MCU big bad casting uh, deadline has reported that Jonathan Majors who has been recently just tearing it up in Lovecraft Country uh, has been cast in Ant-Man 3 as Kang the Conqueror I freaking love Kang the Conqueror that being said, I do not know why you would put Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man 3. Um, I get that there's time travel and that with um, the microverse, the pin particles, you know, going into that, you know, there was time travel involved. But I just, Kang is an Avengers level threat. He does not belong in a one-off Ant-Man sequel. I'm hoping that it's kind of like a Thanos and Guardians of the Galaxy thing, where it's like the main villain of Ant-Man 3 either reports to or comes across Kang, but um, Kang's a big bad. Kang is on the level of a Thanos, of a Mephisto, of an Annihilus. Um, not quite a Galactus, I would say. Galactus is like your your end of days kind of uh, threat. But he's in there, you know. He's in that um, higher pantheon. So I'm hoping that, again, this is just kind of a tease. I think Jonathan Majors is a great actor, and this is a great casting choice. But I'm hoping that his uh, his importance to the MCU as a whole isn't lessened by him just being the villain in an Ant-Man movie. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week's news. And speaking of Marvel, we're going to roll right on into the main course of this episode, the entree, if you will, which is our latest Geek Explain spotlight on Hawkeye. been a really interesting character and he has had a long history with a 
bunch of different roles throughout his career. Uh, he's been a villain, he's been a criminal, he's been an Avenger, he's been a uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, but the career path and the role that I think have quickly become his most uh, well-known and beloved is that of apartment superintendent. Uh, Clint Barton has uh, had his ups and downs when it comes to his career. And he's always been kind of looked at as like the other Avenger. Like you have like all of your heavy hitters, you know, your Captain America, your Thor, your Iron Man, uh, so on and so forth. But Clint has always been kind of the the uh, the other guy, the guy who kind of just pals around with them. And he was treated that way quite a lot, which is unfortunate because Clint Barton is an awesome character. And there was a book that gave him his proper due, and that is the seminal run by writer Matt Fraction and artist David Aja on Hawkeye, initially called Hawkeye, My Life is a Weapon, that ran through the mid-2000s. And this is, for a lot of people, myself included, uh, one of, if not my favorite Hawkeye runs of all time. But Hawkeye Clint Barton isn't the only Hawkeye that makes this book great. You also got to give it up for Kate Bishop, who's a relatively new addition. And Kate brings a certain dynamic to Clint's life in that she is from a very different background than Clint is. She is a uh, well-to-do socialite who essentially gets into the superhero biz because she's bored. And um, I would love to do a a, uh, a geek explained episode for her at some point. So if you want to hear that, please feel free to let me know. Um, but the two of them together is like magic. And when you get both of them together with the creative team involved, you get this run. Uh, I want to talk briefly about the writer artist duo of Matt Fraction and David Aja. Uh, Matt Fraction has just like Clint Barton, had his highs and lows when it comes to comics. I think his runs on Hawkeye, uh, even recently when it comes to uh, Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal, have been stellar. But he's also had some big dips. I would, honestly, I would reference uh, his Thor run as a run that I really don't look back on, and a lot of people don't really look back on fondly. However, he is one of those writers that when you hear that he's on a book, your ears kind of perk up. And for me, it's the same way with David Aja. David Aja is an incredible artist. Um, a lot of people have more or less uh, liken his art to the style of like uh, David Mazzucchelli, which I think is incredible uh, company to be with. Um, and the two of them really kind of, um, if you look at their art next to each other, are you can see the similarities when it comes to kind of the simplicity of the art itself. It doesn't go for like hyper-realism. It doesn't go for cartoony. It goes for a very simple, almost... Um, uh, how would I put this? It's all—it's almost like 
it's not quite like Saturday morning cartoony, but it's very like gritty cartoon style where you can just place it anywhere. Um, and I've been a big fan of David Aja's for a while. The two of them, for me, Matt Fraction and David Aja, really came under my radar with the Immortal Iron Fist run. I love that Iron Fist run. And though you didn't really get a whole lot of them working on it just exclusively most of it was helmed by uh, ed brubaker who's another one of my favorite writers um the formula was there the ingredients were there and when it was announced that they were going to be doing a full-on hawkeye comic talking about his adventures outside of being an avenger I just think that a lot of people kind of came to it with skepticism. You know, how are we going to take this character who people don't really take seriously and really give him compelling stories if you're going to take away the superheroics? Um, but just like a lot of people did, I had complete faith in the team of Fraction and Aja, and the two of them came together for this, and they created absolute magic. And what it comes down to, honestly, a lot is that street-level heroics that the book promises. You know, there's maybe one page in the entire—okay, maybe a couple pages—in the entire run where it shows him, you know, as an Avenger teaming up with other superheroes and the rest of the time it's just hawkeye in between those missions you know he's got uh cuts and bruises and band-aids like as the book goes on it gets to kind of an absurd amount of band-aids that are just all over his body because at the end of the day he's just a normal guy and i love that because it shows hawkeye's vulnerability it shows clint's um, resilience as well when he steps into trying to be on the level of a Captain America, of a Hulk, but is just a regular guy at the end of the day. Um, another thing that I think really sells this book truly is that when you take away all of the superheroics, New York is still a character in itself. Um, every page, you know, whether, whether it's just like shots of the apartment building, shots on the street, uh, random extras in the background, everyone's got personality. Everyone's got purpose. Um, the city feels alive, and all of the tenants of the apartment building that Clint comes to own, as well as even, you know, they go to Jersey, you know, during one, uh, during one issue, every single bit of um, setting and supporting cast is really well fleshed out. And makes you want to live in that world while also uh, giving that world a distinct lived-in feeling. And then there's our tracksuit mafia, which we are going to get to. Um, I think making the main villains of this book not really these, you know, super-powered, you know, you could have brought in somebody like Bullseye or like you know, the Kingpin, and while the Kingpin does have a presence here, he's not really, like, at the forefront of the action. The tracksuit mafia, as I call them, are a Russian mob that uh, Clint just comes into contact with and just immediately uh, all hell breaks loose. And I really love that they are very street-level characters and that the um, the threat isn't so much that they are able to overpower Clint because... 
they really i mean clint is still hawkeye but it's the fact that they have connections the fact that they have overwhelming numbers and the fact that they can intimidate people and i really like that contrast uh as opposed to some of the more fantastical elements and uh villains that hawkeye goes through day to day now sometimes here on the uh on these geek explained uh spotlight uh episodes i like to talk about oh you know these were my you know top five favorite issues or something but as i like reread this because i reread this for the uh for the episode i just kept thinking to myself okay this is in the top five okay this is in the top five okay this is in the top five all the way through all the way through the annual into issue 22 and i was like i can't have a top five include 22 separate issues 23 technically separate issues and i realized i would be doing this uh this story a disservice if i didn't give it my all and talk about the book from start to finish so we're going to be covering the entire run i'm not going to give you you know beat for beat panel by panel because i do want you to read it but there will be spoilers involved in this so you if you haven't read the book and you uh really want to pick this up and you are adverse to spoilers pause this go read it it's in a collected edition the order is a little sketchy when it comes to it but um to how they order the uh issues in the collected editions but Overall, it's an incredible story, and we will be right here to discuss when you finish. Uh, if you have read the book or you just don't care about spoilers, let's discuss. So as we said, the premise for this book is that it is uh, Clint's stories between Avengers missions. This is Clint on a street level while he's recovering from missions. You see, like I said, Band-Aids all over the place. You see him dealing with very real and human problems. And I've kind of separated the uh, the 22, I, I keep saying that, technically the 23 issue run into three parts. Um, and this was very difficult uh, to do this to find like the breaks, but I think I did it in a way that if you want to take them as acts, if you want to take them as seasons, uh, you can absolutely do that. Uh, I will preface this and say that I think issues 1 through 11 are perfect. They are a perfect Hawkeye story that there is not a single thing that I would ever change in them. However, um, this is kind of the way I broke it up. So we're going to go through it beat by beat, um, not beat by beat. We're going to go through it, uh, act by act. And, uh, we're just gonna kick it off with part one. So I titled each of these parts and part one is, okay, this looks bad. And that phrase kicking off almost every single issue, at least in those first 11 issues, is just so great. And it immediately tells you this is the tone of the book. This is exactly what we're going for. And this is what to expect. So I really like that. So part one, okay, this looks bad, uh, is issues one through seven. And these issues pretty much establish our world. They establish the characters. They establish uh, the plot that's going to be going through the entire run. Uh, and this is also where we meet Lucky, Pizza Dog. Uh, Clint is basically, he finds Lucky after uh, he's hit by a car. Uh, really, their whole... Um, their whole relationship throughout this story is uh, patching each other up, which I think is 
lovely and wonderful. Um, this is also where uh, Clint kind of gets into it with the Russian mob, the local Russian mob, uh, and he ends up running off a local mobster who is who owns a who owns an apartment building by buying it off from him. It's unclear to me, at least when I was reading it, where he gets the money from, but he gets the money and he uh, basically buys the building from the guy because he is a terrible landlord. And this kind of really kicks off everything that comes afterwards. Um, during this as well, we get a couple of great stories that start to tell and flesh out this world where Clint is starting to cross paths with people like the Kingpin, though only really, um, what is the word? Uh, he, him and the Kingpin are really adjacent to each other throughout the story. They never actually come face to face with each other. Uh, they only briefly cross paths across the entire story. And, during this story as well, we really get an established uh, relationship between Kate and Clint. Clint is this guy who kind of is just flying by the seat of his pants and is constantly just like, okay, we're over here now. Okay, I'm over here now. God, I'm tired. And I love that energy for him. It's that, uh, that tired dad energy that I think, honestly, Jeremy Renner does really well with. Um but it also kind of establishes that Kate is essentially the more responsible and the more, I guess you could say the more capable of the two, where she has kind of trained herself to deal with situations. There is a, uh, a storm in issue, I believe it's issue seven, where there is, they were kind of reacting to Hurricane Sandy, how it hit the, uh, the East Coast. And so they basically split the issue in two, where one is from Hawkeye's uh, perspective, where he's helping a, uh, a tenant in his apartment building with his dad during the, uh, during the storm, while Kate is at a socialite party and ends up having to uh, fight her way through the flooded New Jersey to get uh, medication for some of the people who are trapped at that party, which I just... I love it. I love the characterization of the two. Kate's voice is very clearly distinct from Clint's, and that has to do uh, not just with Fraction's writing, but also with how Aja treats the two of them um, throughout this book, with the two of them coming across as people who would undoubtedly come together, but are also incredibly different. This also, this arc also introduces us to the Redhead, who is this enigmatic a uh, lady who just comes and goes as she pleases. Um, she gets tangled up in Hawkeye and in Clint, and the two of them just run afoul of the Russian mob yet again. Uh, the redhead has a sordid history with the mob, as we would come to find out later on. But the issue that she is uh, brought in has one of the best car chase sequences I've ever read in comics. And it's just such a fun, kinetic time that the two of them get to basically go through like a big, you know, crime thriller uh, action set piece involving a car chase with also Kate being involved at the wheel. So it's just a grand time. And it also uh, gives us two really great stories that 
I think you can read in isolation and you would be able to get satisfying um, personal arcs and stories without having to read the entire book. And that is first the tape. I love the tape. The tape has actually a different artist. It's Annie Wu. No, Annie Wu comes later. Um, it's, oh God, um, Polito. Uh who is a guest artist for this and it's a two issue um two issue story where essentially this tape leaks out showing hawkeye killing um this high value target on the orders of shield and the problem is that if this tape gets its hands into or gets into the hands of the public they will see an avenger being used as their as the personal hitman of shield the um america's biggest um covert ops organization and that could mean a lot of problems for a lot of people so clint and kate are tasked with getting the tape back which has made its way to a super villain auction so i just love it um, there's espionage there's action there's suspense and it's just a great two-part story that really shows not just how much trouble clint can get on his own but how well him and kate work together while improvising on the fly um, and this is kind of juxtaposed with the other stories or the other story that I want to talk about, which is the Christmas story. Um, it's called uh, Six Days. Um, I think that's the title. It's it, the title has six days uh, in the title. So it's basically six days in the life of Clint Barton. And you see it's kind of out of order, but it's around Christmas time. It's Christmas tale that basically uh, tells the story of Clint slowly starting to lose his grip on things. Um, you see him interacting here with uh, other Avengers and the two, you know, him teaming up with like Wolverine and uh, Spider-Man. But those really aren't the uh, star here. The star is Clint dealing with the ramifications of the actions he's made up till this point. Um, he has this great, uh, he has this great, um, interaction with Tony where Tony is basically like questioning him. And I love that there's, there's this aspect of comic Tony Stark where he doesn't understand where he comes from such a place of privilege that he doesn't understand when other heroes don't have money. Um, that's always been kind of a sticking point between him and Spider-Man. There's a great, uh, moment in, uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, which we did do an episode on. You can go check that out where, um, Peter just tells Tony, he's like, I don't value money. And Tony's like, what are you talking about? I don't understand this. And here he has essentially kind of the same uh, conversation with Hawkeye where he's just like, I don't like, I'm not, I don't have money. And Tony's like, how do you not have money? You're an Avenger. And like, it just, it's really funny just seeing how different a lot of these Avengers are when it comes to just not just their background, but also their home life. Um, but we get to see throughout this that uh, Clint is slowly getting in deeper with this Russian mafia. And they give him an ultimatum where they basically say like, hey, you need to vacate the building or we are going to kill you and everyone in that building. And so he begins like this process over the course of these six days, uh, essentially getting ready to say goodbye to people. And he, like, gifts Kate his bow, which she immediately returns. And she's like, what are you doing? You're an idiot. Um, 
And the story really kind of centers around uh, him trying to figure out not just how to get like his VCR working, but how to um, kind of uh, get into the Christmas spirit alongside his tenants. Um, and there's this beautiful moment where he, after making this realization, there's this is just this two page uh, sequence where he's sitting in the in his apartment. And the clock's ticking away. He's got like maybe less than 12 hours before he has to leave or else they're going to target the building. Um, and he picks up his bow that Kate returned and he walks out to the front of the building where uh, the Russians are sitting in a van. And they give him the little gun, you know, motion to tell him like, hey, you're you're screwed now. You you aren't leaving. And there's this amazing panel. And I, it's one of my favorite Hawkeye panels that I've ever read where he's just standing in front of the building with his bow drawn. And he's just like, come get me. Like I will defend this building with my life. And it, there's no word balloons. He doesn't say anything, but that moment is so powerful. And the con- the issue ends with him basically uh, having this conversation with this um, the single mother and her two sons, where they're just like, "Are you? Do you need to be somewhere?" And ha- and Clint, you know, looking out the window is like, "No, I'm not going anywhere." And I love that Clint you know, goes through this process of him choosing, you know, once again to go the hard route and to be a hero in spite of the uh, overwhelming odds that are going to be going up against him. So I really enjoy that. And that's the first arc. The second arc, part two of this story, I entitled The Loves of Clint Barton. And it's issues eight through 13, as well as the annual. Um, And Right away, in issue eight, this story kicks off with the return of the redhead, also known as Penny. Uh, She shows up out of the blue to Clint's apartment uh, and gives him a big old kiss and tells him, I need your help. This would be complicated enough if he also didn't have three of his exes or three other um, loves of his life in the building as well, um, including... um, Bobby Mockingbird, uh, his ex-wife, Natasha Romanoff, an ex-girlfriend, and the the girl he is currently dating, Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman. Um, so this kicks off a two-part story where uh, we realize that uh, Penny ha- has a bit more... Um, has a bit more history with the Russian mafia than we knew and that she is basically trying to uh, get off their scent. She is trying to uh, escape them with the contents of a safe really with, she took the entire safe because she can't get it open. Um, And Clint basically has to go up against the mafia once again, puts himself right in their crosshairs and brings his three former loves or his two former loves and his current love along with him. Uh, What the story also does really well is to show that Clint Barton at his core is a flawed human being and also has self-destructive tendencies. That's just who he is. And I love uh, deep, vulnerable characters, and Clint absolutely fits that bill to a T. Uh, the first issue of this two-part really shows that, um, really shows every all the events from Clint's perspective, and he goes through and he is able to um, thwart the uh, tracksuit mafia once again. However, uh, Penny escapes 
from him, basically revealing that she was using him essentially to take the heat off of her so she could escape. However, he uh, mixed up her combination of comic book covers that revealed the combination to the safe, so she had to leave the safe with Clint. Um, the next part of this also shows the uh, the perspective through the three loves of Clint Barton, which I absolutely adore, and ends up showing uh, that after Penny escapes, Natasha tracks her down and goes after her. And I really like the juxtaposition of those two stories and the way that they kind of fit together. Um, this is also puts a big spotlight onto Clint's relationships. Um, Jessica basically breaks up with him during this story, telling him that like it's not it's not that you you know, thought that us being together meant that we were just casual. It's not that you went around sleeping with other people while we were dating. It's that you probably didn't even think there was anything wrong with it. And that, you know, it really puts a spotlight on the fact that Clint Barton's weakness at his core is his personal attachments, is his personal relationships, and the fact that he just does not have a handle on them whatsoever. And I really, really like that aspect of it. I like the aspect of Clint not really knowing and really kind of stumbling through life, not just through his uh, superheroics, but also through his personal relationships. This is also the arc where we get introduced to Kazi, who is just... Uh, terrifying. He is um, someone who has suffered through a lot in his life and has been essentially hired on by the Troxuit Mafia to take care of Clint Barton. And he makes a hell of a debut by offing one of Clint's closest tenants in the in the building, a, f a genuine friend who uh, was one of the stars of... Um, of the uh, storm, he was the he was the guy who Clint was helping out with his dad, um, and Kazi makes his debut by killing him right on the roof of the building, um, and it's terrifying. He is a terrifying force, and he's really really well utilized in this story. Um, this is also the uh, the kind of turning point for the Hawkeyes in this book, because following this, Clint, of course, blames himself, and it leads to the deterioration of his relationship with Kate. And the two of them end up essentially breaking up, even though they have a weird relationship. Like, Clint is clearly too old to be in a romantic entanglement with her, but you can kind of tell that she has feelings for him. It's weird. But anyway, the, uh, the death of the tenant Grills... Um, Grills is his name. It's not his name, but um, his name is Gil. But everyone calls him Grills because he operates the grill on the top of the building. Um, the death of Grills really leads to the two of them um, essentially going their own ways. And Kate taking Pizza Dog, Lucky, and going off to Los Angeles and leaving Clint alone in New York. Um, this is also the... Um, the arc where we get one of, if not the most standout issue in the entire book. Um, I think there's one other issue that I would argue takes that, but that's in the next part, so we'll talk about it. Um, and that is the pizza dog issue. Um, let me grab the book. I have it right here. I want to get the name of the issue right. 
Um, it is, where are you? It's issue 11. I'm pulling through. I have the omnibus here. Uh, the name of the issue is Pizza is My Business. <laughs> Um, and it's basically all of the events of the last couple issues, as well as some of the um, ensuing issues, some foreshadowing, through Lucky's perspective. You know, he finds Grill's dead body on the roof. You see him interacting with other um, characters and other uh, scenes throughout the book that will become clearer as the story goes along. Um, you see him interacting, and it's really, I think, the first time we see Barney in the uh, in the story is in issue eleven, I believe. Um, I think so. I think that's right. Where um, he he just you know makes his cameos, this like random homeless guy who the tracksuit mafia are beating up on, and Lucky kind of draws them away for a moment. But um, you also get the hints here that. You know, the tracksuit mafia might have a mole inside the building. I won't tell you who it is, but it's uh, it's not who you would expect. Um, but I think it's a really great issue that kind of illustrates just how good um, these characters work together and just how um, how complete the story was that Fraction and Aja were trying to tell. Also, I've talked about it uh, so much over the course of this uh, of this segment, but I I haven't mentioned the third key ingredient to the story, which is uh, Matt Hollingsworth on colors. Matt Hollingsworth is um, just an absolute treasure. Um, his colors give the story really what it's. Um, gives it that final push into going from an incredible story into an instant classic where he takes colors where you would see, you know, skin colors turn to sky colors, uh, background colors turn into foreground colors. And it's his ability to kind of give it this like noir, um, this neo-noir feel to all of the colors in this book that really make these pages pop. And I really, I just, I had to mention it because he does such an incredible job with this story just as much as uh, as Fraction and Aja that he absolutely deserves to be in that conversation for it. Um, but this story really um, kicks off, you know, the final act of the uh, of the whole thing because this places our two Hawkeyes on opposite coasts where the two of them are going to have to deal with uh, a lot going on because they are obviously stronger together but they um, they are just as interesting if not more so when they are apart because the two of them missing the influences in each other's lives really is what kind of sells the two of them uh, being so strong as a unit together. And that's what you can really um, you can really see in the uh, in this third arc, which I have entitled, let me see here, go back to my notes. Um, I've entitled it comes back to you in the end. And I know that's a weird title, but I think the phrasing of it really does kind of sell exactly what, um, what the book is about and what this final arc has to do with 
the story that they're trying to tell. And what we see here in this last arc, uh, which is issues 14 to 22, is that um, there's a big focus on Kate's story. We get her as kind of her solo one-woman West Coast Avenger. And she runs up against Madame Mask once again, where she uh, they'd initially had their first meeting in... Um, in the tape story and now madame mask has essentially made it her business to end kate bishop once and for all and i love the two of them together um they also alongside that you get to see the uh the kind of neo-noir or crime noir story that uh that Kate gets to live out in Hollywood, where she gets involved with this detective who might not be who he seems. You get to see this really sad story of a musician that kind of takes um, hints from real-life events. And it's... I didn't think that I was going to enjoy it. I really... When you get to this point, there is a feeling that you will have that I also had, where I was like, ah, I want to go back to... Uh, I want to go back to Clint because, like, there's a big old cliffhanger in issue 15 where um, the next two issues are just Kate's adventures and you don't know what's happening. And it's really, it's maddening. But um, I really enjoy it. And I think it's a great, um, it's a great story kind of teaching the uh, character as well as the reader that Kate is just as capable on her own, but that doesn't mean that she has to be alone. And the same goes for Clint. Uh, the This part with issue 14, issue 14 really kicks off the, I would say, almost the uh, thesis statement for the story in itself, because 14 uh, goes back and, or is it, I'm pretty sure it's 14. Let me double check, um, because again, the uh, the order in this is so weird. No, it's issue 17. Um, issue 17, which is placed really weird, kind of in the middle of all this stuff, um, and is the first Clint issue to come back post the cliffhanger of issue 15, um, comes back to the Christmas story that we talked about in the first um, in the first part. And it's essentially, you know, it's this weird um, kind of uh, side story where it picks up immediately after Clint says, I'm not going anywhere, where they watch this um, this holiday cartoon special where it is basically telling the story of Clint's um, of Clint's saga throughout this book. And I think the way that they place it in the um in the omnibus is kind of does a, a disservice to the issue. I get that they wanted to have it, you know, feel like it comes right after issue six, which is when it comes or, uh, yeah, issue six, which is when it, you know, takes place. But there are a lot of beats in the story that even though you could take them as foreshadowing, don't really ring as true. If you read it at the point that, you know, before a bunch of stuff happens, because this issue really is kind of reflective. It shows Clint exactly like how he's been treating events, how he's been going through things. And it's like I said, it's essentially the thesis statement of the entire book. But it's also during this part that we really get to um, we really get to dive into Barney Barton. 
Barney Barton is the older brother of Clint, and the two of them have had a sordid history. Barney has been a supporting character. He has been a he has been an adversary, um, but in this book, for the most part, he's there with Clint as a team. Um, the two of them are also the victims of a pretty brutal attack, uh, half or near the beginning of this arc, for that. Uh, for that cliffhanger from issue 15 and the way that they come back from it is so great um issue 19 uh the issue uh the stuff what don't get spoke is i would say the contender along with uh pizza's my business for the standout issue of the entire run because following the events of uh issue 15 Clint is partially deafened. And so a lot of this issue is uh, utilizing sign language, and it puts the spotlight really on Aja and Hollingsworth to tell these stories where um, where fractions, you know, words really aren't able to be used. So um, what I love is that throughout the issue, you get to see um, different sign language. You get to see sign language actually used in the panels to kind of illustrate. And it just feels really inclusive and really cool that if you are someone who knows sign language or you are hearing impaired, you get to read this issue and you get to feel included and you get to feel informed. Um and I love that kind of at the end of this issue, it's the purest form of escalation because that's what really this part is about. Uh, this final act is about the escalation of this ongoing feud between the tracksuit mafia and Clint, where the two of them with uh, Barney, you know, confined to a wheelchair and Clint uh, partially deaf storm into, or we, you see the aftermath of them storming into one of the bars that the tracksuit mafia frequent and just take everybody out to send a message to the remaining members that they, that they survived and that they have not forgotten. So, as the uh, as the story kind of wraps up, we get the two part finale Rio Bravo, which is my probably my favorite sequence, my favorite story in the entire run, because it's essentially um, Barney and Clint rallying all of the members or all of the tenants inside the apartment building to rise up and strike back against the tracksuit mafia. And essentially what this is, is it's the raid. It's this big building where all of the tenants are prepared to defend themselves against the overwhelming forces of the tracksuit mafia alongside Kazi, who, after not killing the brothers Barton, has come back to finish the job. And the two-part story just is so good. It's the culmination of everything that we have been leading up to, and it really shows that um, at the end of the day, this is a human story. These are human characters who really show their brightest and some of them their darkest moments in this two-part finale um this also finally brings kate back into the uh the east coast portion of the story when she and lucky return to help defend the uh apartment building at a critical moment and the end of the entire arc the the end of the entire story really comes back to our two leads it comes back to kate comes back to Clint, the two of them having reconciled and uh, 
settled their differences for now. And the two of them alongside Lucky are able to kind of forge their own path as they've been doing this entire time. And at the end of the day, the two of them being together are Hawkeye. It's not just one, it's not just the other. Together, they are Hawkeye. And so that's really what the book is about. I love this book. I love this run of Hawkeye. Fraction, Aja, Hollingsworth, all of the guest uh, artists as well. Let me... Uh, Polito, Wu, uh, Frank Avia, who does two incredible stories uh, in this detailing the backstories of Kazi and of Barney. And I just love it. It is quintessential comic books. It is quintessential heroics. It's quintessential Marvel, where I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of complaints that people have for DC Comics, and I'm a DC guy, but a lot of complaints that I hear a lot for DC Comics is that the characters feel like they're larger than life. They feel like they're these gods who are going through all of these cosmic battles where Marvel is full of more relatable human characters. And while I think there are, there's definitely an argument to be made against that, uh, there is no more human story that you can find in comics than you will find with the Fraction Aja and Hollingsworth Hawkeye run. Um, it is an incredible story that deserves to be read. If you've never read it, do yourself a favor, read this book. If you have read it or you haven't read it in a, in a little while, pick it up again. I know that me picking this up um, years ago and finally rereading it for this episode was one of the highlights one of the highlights of my year um getting to reread this because it's just it's perfect marvel storytelling um there's a quote right on the front i'm looking at the omnibus right now where it just says marvel's best comic um it's by the av club and the av club is hit or miss uh whatever but as a review you would be remiss uh, if you left this out of the best Marvel Comics countdowns of your best Marvel books, there's a reason that this was on my best comics of the decade when it came to the 2010s. And I promise you that uh, no matter how bad the story gets for our heroes, no matter how bad the situation looks, at the end of the day, Clint Barton and Kate Bishop are Hawkeye. And... Maybe that's enough. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment where I review something weekly. And this week we are reviewing the latest episode of season two of The Boys. Specifically episode number four entitled Nothing Like It in the World. And this was actually a really great episode. Um, the first three episodes I think did a great job in telling you kind of where the, the season... The season is going, setting up all the major players, kind of putting the setting involved, and really kind of raising the stakes from the first season. This episode gave us some pretty great revelations and some incredibly uncomfortable character moments that I um, I both enjoyed and cringed at, for sure. Um, the main kind of through line through this, though, is the road trip 
for uh, Annie Huey and Mother's Milk. I love this trio. I love Huey with Annie. I love Huey with Mother's Milk. I'll just call him M.M. because Mother's Milk starts to make me think of those Homelander scenes. And I'm just... <laughs> shivers. Um, but basically, the three of them go on this road trip to find out more about uh, Liberty, who was a hero... Um, Decades ago, they get this tip from Mallory to go after, uh, to kind of run down this train, and the revelations that they get are pretty freaking interesting. Alongside that, uh, Mallory also gives Butcher the location to Becca, and the two of them finally reunite after all of uh, the events of last season. I was kind of surprised that um, that they had them meet each other so soon i figured it wasn't going to be until like the end of the season that they were going to see each other again but i'm not complaining i like it i like that we get a different uh facet to their relationship uh we finally get the reveal why becca left in that she um after she was raped by homelander found out she was pregnant she went to vaught about it and not to uh to billy because she knew that he had an anger inside of him and he would you know, go after Homelander until the end of his days and would probably get himself killed trying to get revenge. And lo and behold, here we are. So um, this puts Billy in a really interesting place. I think Butcher needed something to kind of differentiate his path from the first season to this. So I really like this development for him and I'm interested to see where they go. Uh, Homelander. Homelander's got problems. Um... None more so than just, you know, what's going on up here. Just, he doesn't, he's not right in the head. We knew this from the first season. But even more so now, um, Doppelganger makes a return. Um, Pretty early on in the episode, Homelander shows up to this cabin where, surprise, surprise, Stillwell's there. But as we come to find out, it's not Stillwell. Homelander has been keeping Doppelganger prisoner in this cabin, forcing him to take on the uh, persona of Stillwell. And it's just, it's gross. It's just really freaking gross. And I don't like it. Um, the uh, the closing moments of this episode uh, involve the two where um, Homelander is kind of starting to lose it. He's starting to lose his grip on the seven. He's starting to lose his grip on himself. And he's like, you know, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody. And he turns around and doppelganger has turned into him has turned into homelander and there's this really just uncomfortable scene where uh homelander you know doppelganger as homelander is basically talking about how he's he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna get on his knees for him so to speak and um it's just, it's super uncomfortable and there's this moment where i was like i mean this is where they're going this is what's gonna happen but then homelander uh, surprises, I think, myself and other, and the audience, really, by uh, killing Doppelganger and essentially killing himself. And it's really interesting that Doppelganger didn't change back into himself, and I think that's gonna, that's gonna be a through line. That's something to pay attention to, because I think that's gonna come in again later on, because now... Uh, Homelander basically just has this body double of himself that's dead that he can maybe swap out at any time. We'll have to see. Uh, he's also got problems with the Seven because um, he 
uh, unceremoniously fires A-Train from the team, basically telling him he can't do it anymore, he's too dependent on uh, Compound V, and it looks like his uh, opponent from the first season, I think his name was Shockwave, looks to be taking his spot in the seven. So that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how they pull on that thread as we go along. And then finally, uh, he's having issues with Stormfront. Stormfront is getting more and more popular, especially after the events of last episode where she killed uh, Mouse. And Stormfront also does not seem to be who she appears to be because when... Uh, Annie Huey and MM show up to this place where uh, the last, you know, they're supposed to get more information on Liberty. They are encountered by this woman who tells this story about when she was a little girl. She was an African-American uh, woman. When she was a little girl, I think her dad was killed by Liberty. And even though she, you know, tried to tell people about it, she basically got the payoff. I don't know if Vought was established at this point. Uh, or not, but she basically got a payoff to keep quiet. But she has been living in fear because she's like, Liberty's still alive. And Huey's like, no, Liberty hasn't been seen since like the early 70s. And uh, this lady grabs this newspaper. She's like, no, this is Liberty. And she points at Stormfront's picture. So Stormfront might not be who she appears to be. I'm really interested because they did give that tease that she is um, incredibly racist uh, last episode. And that might carry into... Um, this the origins of her so i i can't wait to get more information on that uh meanwhile two other through lines in this episode uh frenchie and kimiko kimiko is obsessed with getting revenge against uh stormfront for killing her brother but frenchie has also been going through kind of a downward spiral and the two of them come together near the end of the episode to kind of um I guess, take comfort in each other because they're both kind of messed up right now. Uh, and then the deep, speaking of messed up, is uh, auditioning wives. Um, throughout the episode, we get these testimonials from women talking about love and it doesn't really tell you what's going on until near the end of the episode when you find out that as part of his quote-unquote recovery with the collective with the church of the collective uh the deep is looking to rehab his image as well by getting a wife and uh at the end we see that the uh the director of the collective i can't remember her name basically makes the choice for him and that you know she is choosing this person because she is going to help him repair his image so overall a lot of spinning plates in this episode but the breadcrumbs that they left throughout i'm super interested in everyone is at a very vulnerable moment on the cast kind of across the board and i am just chomping at the bit to see what they do next episode so tune in next week for uh, episode five. And for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we've got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And honestly, um, the book that I ended up picking was not the book that I thought was going to win. Um... All great books that we had last week, but the one that stuck out for me, honestly, was Flash number 761, uh, written by Joshua Williamson with a couple different artists on this. 
Um, I just, I loved this book, man. Like I was so surprised because I thought for sure it was going to be Trinity, uh, Trinity crisis. I thought for sure, because I love the crises. We talked about it last week. This is the one I was hyped most for, but this book really was a celebration of the flash character and of the flash family. And there was even a little moment, a little moment where they teased a little bit of Wally West, which was my only complaint of this, uh, finish line story so far. Um, it doesn't seem like we're going to get really much of any Wally West for the rest of the story, which is sad, but apparently this story does kind of lead into, um, into death metal. So, um, at least we know that in death metal, they do, uh, come, they do cross paths again, and we are getting speed metal out of that as well with, um, I'm just with Art by Eddie Barrows. I'm really excited about that. But yeah, I just, I love this book. It's a celebration of the Flash, and I can't wait to see how Finish Line wraps up next issue. Uh, but that's last week. Let's talk about this week. This week, we've got five big old books for you to read, um, and they are all some heavy hitters. So kicking things off with a brand new number one, this is Iron Man number one, written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Kafu. Um, this is now no longer... Dan Slott's Iron Man. We are moving on into a new age, and uh, I'm looking forward to this. I, I'm really interested. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Tony Stark is looking to restart his engine. He decides he's going back to basics, putting away his high-tech toys and high-profile image so he can get his hands dirty again. It's time to dig into the guts of real machines, put on some old-fashioned metal, and fly. But can he really lay that Stark-sized ego down? Life isn't that simple, something that old friends and frustrating foes are quick to point out. If you strip down a billionaire to his bolts, does he run solid or just overheat? Tony's going to find out once a threat to the entire universe rears its head from the past. As he suits up again, Tony remains sure of one thing. He's still Iron Man, down to his flesh and blood core. So I kind of like this like back-to-basics approach. The armor is very evocative of his classic armor, which I love. Um, and I like this kind of... Um, kind of getting back to the nitty-gritty of the character. I'll be picking this up. I'm interested in this, especially with how, um, I guess, high-tech and nanomachines he's gotten. It would be interesting to see him get back into just a plain old suit of armor. So that is Iron Man number one. Moving right on to X-Men number 12, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Linnell Francis Yu. Um, this looks like it is going to be the next step in the ongoing uh, X-Men saga. The last couple issues kind of tied around or tied into Empire. And now we are, uh, we are right back to your regularly scheduled X-Men saga as we gear up to go into the next big event for X-Men. I believe that's uh, Ten of Swords or X of Swords, however you want to say it. Um, so let's Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The summoning begins. A lead-in to the biggest X story of the summer. So that's pretty much it. Um, I'm really interested. They've, they've seeded a lot. Even in the Empire teases, um, that Magneto issue was just 
Oh, so good. But I'm interested to see what they do. The summoning has been kind of, they've been teasing it along in the main X-Men book for a little while now. So I'm interested to uh, get deeper into that and see really what that's all about. Next up, we have a big book and a book I'm really excited for, which is Batman number 99, written by James Tynan IV, with art by George Jimenez. Um, This is... Part five of Joker War. We've only got one issue left after this, but I'm really excited about this because the cover features my boy Nightwing. Nightwing is back um, at the end of Nightwing 74, which I believe dropped last week or the week before. Um, He finally got his memories back. Rick Grayson is no longer, and Dick Grayson has taken the stage once again. And it looks like this issue, he's going to be back with the family. So I can't wait. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Things have changed, as Batman realizes he can't fight this war alone. He's going to need help. Before he faces down the Joker, he must call up his trusty partner, Dick Grayson. But can Dick reclaim his lost memories in time to join the battle? So it kind of sounds, they're trying to keep it coy and not spoil Nightwing 74, but I fully believe that at the beginning of this, he's going to have his memories back and he's going to be suiting up once again. Can't wait to pick this book up. Uh, Next up, we have a big heavy hitter from Marvel. It's Thor number seven, written by Donny Cates with art by uh, Aaron Cuter. What? I'm looking at this for the first time, and now I'm even more excited. I love Aaron Cuter. Uh, Nick Klein is also doing the covers. I I love Nick Klein's art, especially on this book so far. It's been fantastic, and I can't wait to see what this book has in store for us next. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Something is wrong with Mjolnir. And this is a poor time for the Allfather of Asgard to lose his primary weapon. The Golden City is in chaos after Galactus's ill-timed visit, and there are new threats on the horizon. Thor needs his hammer now more than ever, and yet the Uru grows heavier with every passing day. What will it take for the God of Thunder to hang on to one of the most powerful weapons in the multiverse? So we've seen stories of this before, um, Thor losing his hammer, Thor becoming unworthy, but it's never been as gradual as this from what I can remember off the top of my head. So I'm interested to see kind of the decaying relationship between Thor and Mjolnir um, and how that affects the character and Asgard as a whole. So really looking forward to that. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up and checking out, is Detective Comics number 1027. A thousand issues since Batman made his debut in Detective Comics 27. Uh, This has a bunch of of creators on this writers like grant morrison uh bendis tomasi wolfman with art by people like greg or uh art by people like ivan race john ramita jr walt simonson dan mora all over the place it's going to be just like um detective comics 1000 and action comics 1000 where it's a bunch of short stories pairing different creative teams together i'm looking forward to this as a celebration of Batman and as a potential tease to see where Batman is going next because they always like to litter in you know what's going to be happening next on the uh, on the horizon for these characters when they get into the nitty-gritty they've also teased a little bit about what's going to be happening post Joker war in this book so I can't wait to pick this up let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here 
light the bat signal because Detective Comics number 1027 is here. In honor of Batman's first appearance in Detective Comics number 27, this special book-sized celebration brings you the biggest names in comics as they chronicle the most epic Batman adventures Gotham City and the DC Universe have ever seen. The world's greatest detective has a mountain of cases to crack. Who murdered Gotham's most corrupt police officer? What does the Joker's annual visit mean for Bruce Wayne? And most importantly, what Wayne Tech mystery will sow the seeds of the next epic Batman event? All this and more await you within the pages of the biggest Batman issue of them all. So like I said, a lot of stories, um, it does seem to be teasing what's next for Batman. So if you want to know what's going to be coming up uh, for Batman and his merry band of vigilantes, you're going to want to know... Uh, you're going to want to pick this book up for sure. Plus, there's all the different, um, uh, what's it called, the vi different variant covers. I'm like scrolling through them right now. Uh, some of them uh, are kind of hit or miss for me. There is a Bermejo one that I'm really looking forward to. I'm going to try to pick up with uh, Batman and Nightwing. And there's also um, a Batman and Harley one by uh, Olivia Corpel. Uh, there's just a lot to uh, to jump into, so definitely look for this book for sure. And that's going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Iron Man number 1, X-Men number 12, Batman number 99, Thor number 7, and Detective Comics number 1027. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is the first time you're joining us on the Geeksplain podcast, please give us a subscribe. Subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. And also, please feel free to give us a rating and review, especially on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts or whatever they want to call it. It really just helps me out, helps the podcast out, get raises our stock in the podcast community, and gets us into the ears of listeners just like you you and if you do give us a five-star rating and review on apple Podcasts, itunes whatever you want to call it uh, i will read your review right here on the air you can join the likes of seafire nd josh from panels to pixels and matt draper in getting your review read here on the geeksplain podcast so thank you again very much to those three uh you're all amazing and i can't wait to read more reviews uh also feel free to give us a follow on instagram and twitter at geeksplain pod if you want to keep up to date with all of the happenings when it comes to geeksplain podcast including some polls that we put up on twitter including our most recent poll we talked about it a couple weeks ago uh, how I am getting prepped and ready to do our next edition of Pitch It. We haven't done a Pitch It since our big uh, climactic episode 100 Pitch It where I pitched my Superman movie. Um, and this time for episode number one. 30 we're going to be doing another pitch it i ran a poll we uh got plenty of votes thank you for everyone who voted and with a staggering 47 percent of the vote our next pitch it is going to be an iron fist animated series i have had this idea for probably right around three or four years at this point and i've just been waiting for an excuse to talk about it so on episode number 130 i will be pitching you my iron fist animated series so stay tuned for that and make sure you subscribe on the podcasting platforms as well as the social medias to stay up to date on all of it um 
And that's really going to do it this week. Uh, Marvel has been, you know, just dominating September. I love Marvel. I know I say all the time I'm a DC guy, but Marvel really does capture my heart in a lot of ways. Um, And Hawkeye is one of my favorite Marvel comics I've ever read. Um, It's just, it's a... I like to say when it comes to like Daredevil stories that the uh, Daredevil story at its core is the triumph of the human spirit. I've used that line so many times that it feels rote at this point, but it really is. It's true. And I feel the same way about this book. This is not just a character study on Clint Barton as a hero, but it is a peek into the personal life, the trauma, the depression, the mental state of Clint Barton. Clint Barton, the man, um, and also gives us an incredible look at Kate Bishop. If this is your introduction to Kate Bishop, you are in great hands for the character going forward. And now that both of the Hawkeyes are going to be showing up in Marvel's Avengers, depending on if you like that game or not, um, their stock is only going to get higher alongside their uh, Disney Plus show, if that ever gets made either. So, um, I'm really excited about next week's episode. I can't lie to you. Um, This has actually been a really great week for me. I uh, booked a voiceover gig that I'm really excited uh, excited about. I recorded the first session this past weekend, and I'm going to be recording the next session in about a week. But the thing that is dominating my mind right now and dominating my time is next week's episode of the Geeksplain podcast. Because I don't know if you know this, but next week is a pretty exciting anniversary. You see, 10 years ago, right around this time, there was an idea to bring together a cartoon about Marvel's greatest team and make it one of the best Marvel cartoons of all time. And next week, we are going to be celebrating this cartoon for its 10-year anniversary. Next week, we're going to be spotlighting why I love Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. I cannot wait to talk about the show. Uh, So tune in next week for that. It's going to be a celebration of the show, talking about my favorite episodes. And it is going to be just a blast. So tune in next week for that episode, a brand new episode of the Geeksplain podcast, celebrating Avengers earth's mightiest heroes it won't quite be same geek time because i'm going to be dropping the episode uh, a little bit early uh, we normally drop episodes here on the geek explain podcast every wednesday but since the 10-year anniversary for avengers earth's mightiest heroes is on the 22nd and that is a tuesday look for it on tuesday we're going to be dropping that episode celebrating the show so check that out stay tuned for that next week but for now for geek explain this is eric azana thank you very much for listening stay safe and we will see you next time Spin.